Hi everyone and welcome. My name is Lucia. And I'm Cory, and we are the hosts of Reading Materials, a bookish podcast in which we take it in turns to select a book or series of books, read it, and then discuss it on the show. So, without further ado, let's dive right in. Hello, very good. It's been a great book day, as I've already told you. Got lots of books today in the mail and bought some books for the first time in ages. So overall, feeling good. How about you? Good. Yeah, I am good. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Um, I did, in order to finish the book that we're going to be talking about this week, I spent this morning sitting in a little nook that I made myself in our bay window and it was very comfortable, and I think I may have found myself a new reading position. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I really like the picture that you sent me. It looks really comfy. Yeah. Mm, it was good. I got a little baby Yoda blanket as well to mm. cozy up into. So, yeah, it's good. Cute. Cute, cute. So, I can't remember if there was anything from last week. I feel like there wasn't. I don't think so. I think I was supposed to talk to Owen and Neve about the Book of Lost Things, but I didn't actually have a chance to talk to them about it, so I think we can just ignore that. <laughs> yes, and I think also we are potentially thinking about maybe getting people to talk to us about books that we've read on the podcast at some mm-hmm. point in the future, so we don't want to ruin ruin our options there. Very good. So I guess we should just jump straight into it. Let's do it. Cool. So did you do much reading on Antonia Hodgson herself? I did not do any reading. I thought I would leave that to you since you picked the book this week. Well, that's very good because there really isn't very much at all out there. So the book that we read this week was Death at Fountains Abbey, and it is by Antonia Hodgson who was born in Derby, studied English at the University of Leeds, was in publishing for 20 years, and then left publishing to concentrate on writing. Mm -hmm. And that is basically a summary of pretty much the whole Wikipedia article. (laughs) There are a couple more things. So she's worked with Ozzy and Sharon Osborne as editor, so I guess maybe on autobiographies. I don't really know what they've written. Yeah. Obviously they are known for their music. Yeah. She's also worked with the American novelists Nora Robert and Elizabeth Kostova, neither of whom I've heard of. Nope. Um, There was a really funny paragraph on her website, which I thought you would appreciate in particular. So this is directly from Antonia Hodgson's personal website. Her first completed novel was a gothic mystery with multiple narrators, some of them vampires. When she started... No one was writing about vampires. By the time she'd finished, everyone was heartily sick of vampires. (laughs) But that's fine. She learned a lot, and no, you can't read it. Ah! That's a shame, because... Yeah. Yes, you like vampire stories. I do. I do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I mean, Wikipedia doesn't even have a date of birth for her. They know that she's about 49 to 50 years old. Um... 
the Thomas Hawkins series, which this book sits within, was shortlisted for... I cannot write, read my writing. Theakston's Award? I have no idea what that is. And she won the 2014 Crime Writers Association Historical Dagger Award. And that's Interesting. as much as we know. Okay. And um, did it say when the first book in the series came out? 2014. Her first book came 2014. out. 14. Okay. And there are three so far in this series. Mm -mm. There are four, but um, she's not a particularly well-known author, I would say. So mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff about her is out of date. Mm -hmm. But you can okay. buy the fourth novel. Four in seven years. It's not bad. No. Oh, I think it came out either this year or last year. Uh, April, uh, August last year, the fourth one came out. So, yeah. Excellent. And have you read any of the other ones? No, I haven't. I didn't even know that it was part of a series, which brings up some interesting questions to ask you and myself later. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have not. The reason I picked the book is because my mum... Basically, what you're going to discover over the course of this podcast is that my mother is part of a book club. So she buys books, and then when she's finished with them, I go home... And the bookcase that all of her books for book club live in is in the room that I stay in. So I quietly squirrel some of them away into my bag and then return them when I've read them. Nice. <laughs> so a lot of them are chosen for her book club where the criteria are fewer than 300 pages and relatively easy reading. Okay, that would explain why all the books that you've picked so far are relatively Quite short. short. Yeah. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. not through design, because we all know that I love a novel that goes on for hours and hours and hours and hours, but um, it's just because mum's giving me loads of free books <laughs> without even realising it. I do I do return them in case she ever listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's great. I love it. A Death at Fountains Abbey by Antonia Hodgson. Late Spring, 1728. Fresh from his escape from the gallows, Thomas Hawkins has arrived in Yorkshire with his ward, Sam Fleet. But death still has a hand upon his shoulder, even in such idyllic surroundings. John Aislaby, Tom's reluctant host, is being tormented by anonymous letters threatening murder. A disgraced politician, Aislaby certainly has plenty of enemies. But, trapped in a house haunted by old tragedies, Tom begins to suspect that the danger lies much closer to home. Someone is playing a subtle and deadly game of revenge, years in the planning, and now Tom is standing in their way. So I I went on to Goodreads earlier and I saw your review, which I was just slightly annoyed about because I saw it, not because you'd done it. So why don't you say what you thought? So I gave this three stars, I think. I finished it on Monday. It took me about a week to read. Um, I thought it was bang on average, like, um, I had no idea what it was going to be about when I went into it. Um, just based on the title, I, I had an inkling that it might be some kind of a murder mystery, but was very surprised to find out that it takes place in the early 1700s. Did not know that before I opened the first page. So that was a bit of a whew, shock to the system. Um, 
I thought the first chapter was really good. So the prologue one, it's um, the fire and uh, the main, I suppose. Well, not the main protagonist, but like Mr. Aislaby. Aislaby. I mean, they, there was even a discussion in the book yeah. about how to pronounce it. So exactly. <laughs> I don't mind that I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> exactly. So there's a fire in his house uh, in London. We find out that it was started on purpose by his maid, Molly. Um, she did it as a distraction so that she could steal some of his jewels and it, you know, goes out of control. The whole house burns down. It's a big tragedy. And then we jump forward in time. So Wife I thought the prologue... child are killed. Say again? Wife and child are killed, which is yes. big. Yes. Wife and child are killed. Or rather, wife and child are stuck in the building. Yes. So I thought that was good. That was, you know, an action-packed opening to the book. And then I found the rest to be quite slow. And generally, maybe a little bit confusing because I hadn't read the previous books. So, for example, it's not exactly clear to me who Thomas Hawkins is. Is he some sort of private detective, like Sherlock Holmes-style person, or... Why would he be asked to solve this case, basically? Yeah. I had the same confusion, and at the beginning I was getting a little annoyed because the first probably half of the book is referring to events that happened in the previous book. And I did find it slightly frustrating but realistically, we didn't need the information contained within the previous books in order for this story to go ahead. Mm-hmm. So I think once the mystery of the story started to kick in, and once I'd reminded myself that I've read books like this in the past and it probably doesn't matter that I don't know what happened in the previous books... I was able to enjoy it a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think I think there was quite a lot of backstory that for somebody who hasn't read the books previously was important because mm-hmm. Thomas Hawkins, who's the main protagonist, is famous because he survived a hanging, which happened in the previous book. And... That gives him a certain status, which is quite important in this book, because it allows him to then get people to do stuff for him that he may not necessarily have been able to get them to do otherwise, mm-hmm. because they think he's an angel, because he's or he's been touched by God because he survived his hanging. So I sort of felt relatively the same in terms of... I have no idea why, either, and it's not clear to me at all... But I think I didn't find it too slow because I only started reading it yesterday. I I sort of started it at eight o'clock last night and finished it at eight o'clock this morning and had a good eight hour sleep in the middle of it. So this is very definitely one of those books that I was able to just blast through and the pacing didn't really bother me. Mm. So I would just say that I was a bit frustrated by... The fact that I was actually more interested in the references to the previous books than I was to what was going on in this book. Like, I would be much more 
interested to find out why was he sentenced to death? Um, what happened? You know, the fact that he survived his hanging. It also seems like maybe afterwards he was buried alive. So he had to kind of get out of his own coffin is the kind of feeling that I got from it. So that interested me a lot more than what was happening in this book. And I felt like the story, the mystery was just kind of considering it all happened in three days, felt very drawn out. And yeah, once we true. finally, I mean, we find out who is orchestrating everything relatively early on. And yet there's still at least a good 100 pages to go in the story. So I mm. just felt like, well, we know who did it. Like, why do we need to drag this out for so much longer? Yeah, I suppose. So I, because this is one of those books that sits within mum's bookcase, I had a physical copy of it and it's been a little while since I read a physical book in terms of numbers because <laughs> we've sort of read a lot of books in the last few months and um, I didn't notice particularly how far through I had got once before we'd found out who it was whereas on my e-reader it tells you exactly how far you are through the book so I didn't have that sort of way marker Mm-hmm. And actually, at the end of my book, I'm not sure if yours was the same, there were a lot of notes. Yeah. Which I loved, and we will come back to them later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I, I guess I didn't really notice that. I, But like I say, I was a little bit under deadline pressure, so I was sort of trying to read the book and take it in, and not really, I don't know. It was a chore to get through, but not because I was finding it difficult mm-hmm. just because I had a limited amount of time to do it in. Sure. Yeah. But I I haven't done too much reading around the book itself because apart from the fact that we've already had a load of spoilers for the previous books, just for the fact that we've read this book, I am going to go back and read them because this is exactly the kind of easy reading nice Sunday afternoon whiling away the time with a cup of tea sort of book that I absolutely eat up yeah (laughs) okay cool interesting well if you do do let me know what you think of it yeah but yeah so what would you have rated it then so I rated it four out of five I enjoyed it it like I say it was easy reading there was no bad writing to distract me from the story Mm -hmm. like with a number of the previous books that we've read where I was so focused on the lack of speech marks or, you know, various other things that I couldn't focus on what was going on. And it was just a good romp. And it was historical fiction, which is really something that I absolutely adore because I think I like the idea that it it was a simpler time. I'm sure it wasn't, but I like the idea of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, How did you find the mystery? I don't think I was necessarily surprised that the... So I suppose we have Elizabeth, who... Or Mrs Fairwood. Hey, look at me remembering names. I didn't even write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who appears and is apparently Mr Aislaby's daughter, who 
everybody thought was lost, but Molly, the thief, had apparently stolen her away from the fire because she thought that being a mother and child would be more easy to escape than if she had been a single maidservant on the run. And I wasn't surprised that the imposter who turns up and says that she is Elizabeth was involved, but I was surprised... I can't remember his name. I was doing so well. Mr. Robertson? <laughs> Mr. Robinson. You mean the the architect? Yes. Wasn't he Forster? Francis Forster? Yes. <laughs> Francis Forster. <laughs> I'm so bad at names. <laughs> yes, I was quite surprised that he was. I, I, I enjoyed the twist. I guess we put, we've been putting spoiler alerts. I enjoyed the twist that he was her brother and everybody thought maybe they were lovers and mm-hmm. there was this whole big revenge thing because Mr. Aislaby had conned all of England out of money and insider trading and da-da-da-da-da. So I enjoyed that twist and the rest, the rest, the way that we got there, yeah, I enjoyed it. Okay. There wasn't anything really clever about it. Mm. Like I say, I think it was just a good romp. Mm-hmm. What 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 about you? So I was very meh about the whole thing. I think I just didn't care enough about Mr. Aislaby. He was portrayed as being very callous and uncaring about other people's problems and he felt very entitled to all of his money and his fortune and he wouldn't admit any guilt in what had happened because of his um, schemes when he was in parliament he you know he wasn't paying his workers who were building his new estate he had this vendetta against the poor family the gills who lived on his on the neighboring land and he was convinced that he that they were killing all his deer so he was just quite an unlikable character. Yeah. Which means that he didn't have any of my sympathy and I didn't care if she was or was not his daughter. So that part I didn't enjoy. Mm. I did quite like the twist now that you bring it up. I had an inkling that she probably wasn't his daughter from the beginning because that would have just been too convenient if she had been. But I did not see it coming that it would be the the boring, bumbling architect would be the actual mastermind behind everything. Yeah. I I also thought that she wasn't going to be his actual daughter. Partly because of the writing, I suppose. Because Tom Hawkins made it really clear. Because the whole book is sort of written in, in his voice. Mm-hmm. Made it really clear that he knew when she was lying and when she wasn't. And the parts when she was lying was when she was talking about being the daughter. So I sort of expected that to be part of it. But I think the the secondary mystery, which is that there's this ledger of all the people who have been bribed or um, told when to buy and when to sell shares into the company that went under, I was less convinced by that. Mm. I wonder if that's something that if we had known more about Tom Hawkins, we might have cared more about, because the whole premise was that Kitty, who is his lover, her life has been threatened by Queen Charlotte, and if they don't manage to 
find this ledger, then Kitty will be exposed as being a murderess mm-hmm. and therefore probably go to the gallows. And because we don't have that relationship with Kitty and Tom that we might have had if we had read the previous books, I was a little bit like, eh, meh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Which is, again, why I was saying that I'm more interested to know what did Kitty do? You know, who did she kill? More than I cared for <laughs> the contents of, of this mystery. Yeah. So I, I really liked the characters of Thomas, Kitty, and Sam, whom mm-hmm. I imagine would be maybe not Sam so much, in the sense of I don't know if he's in all the previous books, but it seems like Tom and Kitty have been there from the beginning. Mm. So I really like their characters, and I would be more interested in, in their story than anybody else. Um, and I also enjoyed Lady Judith. I thought she was yes. she was funny. Yeah. I liked her. So I think... You know, it was nice that after a few books where there weren't particularly well-written female characters, we got a book where all the... Actually, I liked all of the female characters. I thought they were all Mm. very individual. They were all quite independent in their own way, despite the fact that it was the early early 1700s. Um, Intelligent women, you know. um, They pulled the punches in some ways, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, that was one of the things I wrote down, is that I absolutely love Kitty. And from what I gathered, she runs a bookshop in London that has not acceptable content for the early 1700s, but what we would call adult content these days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I I agree with you. I I think that I have a difficult relationship with books or series like this where it's not a series because this is realistically a standalone book it's got all the context that you need to understand this mystery mm-hmm. and there are loads of books that I've read in the past where something has been given good reviews or been recommended to me and I've started reading it and then realized that it focuses on a character who has got all this history that you can read about just by reading the previous books but each individual book within the character arc is a standalone novel in its own right and I wondered if you have much experience with that and what you think I mean it's been a while since I would have read that style of book but I definitely have in the past so it Okay, this might be just from my own experience. It seems like this is quite common for these crime novels that have a primary detective or a policeman or whoever. Mm. And it spans like 14 or however many books and each book is like a separate case. So I would have read a few such books in the past, but I haven't for a long time. So... Mm. Yeah, I just haven't really read much crime recently. And I think in fantasy books, it's a clear trilogy or it's a clear series or a standalone novel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because one of the books that you picked up today was the fifth Cormoran Strike book. Yeah. But obviously, because of the history of the novel, which is written by Robert Galbraith, who is J.K. Rowling. Mm Mm-hmm. You've read it from the beginning, I assume. 
Yes, so I read the first three books, and I haven't read the fourth and the fifth one. Mm. And I am actually trying to think now if you could just jump in into book four and would it all make sense. And I think that for the first three books, yes. But from what I know of what happens in the fourth book, just having flicked through it, it starts immediately after the third one finishes, like literally five minutes later in the in the story. So I think right. readers would be very confused about what's going right. on for that one. But I think if you picked up book two and you hadn't read book one, I think you'd be perfectly right. fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I, I guess I've read while I was studying, I had a friend who was into Clive Cussler, who's a, uh, an author who writes about, I guess it's sort of spy slash military espionage type mystery, all relatively modern. And this friend would just go into charity shops and pick up a Clive Cussler book, mm -hmm. read it, and then give it to me. And so I have read a lot of books out of order that relate to one character and then tried to go back and read those books in order. Mm -hmm. And I think what I find quite frustrating about them is that because a lot of them are designed as standalone books, because the authors are not necessarily particularly well known, every single book needs to be headline grabbing, it needs to be award winning, it needs to stand out in order to try then attract new readers and a new audience to this author's body of work you end up with this really weird thing where in every single novel there's a little recap about something that has happened previously, such that when you then go back and read the previous novels, like when I read the second book in the Thomas mm -hmm. Hawkins series, I know he's going to have survived mm -hmm. a hanging. Yeah, I see. So you feel like it kind of, if you read them out of order, they basically spoil the previous books. Oh yeah, In absolutely. Way, yeah. They cheat you of, they cheat you of the reveal. Mm -hmm. And when these when these types of books are specifically designed for you to get that reveal, mm -hmm. it then makes it a little bit redundant to go back and read it. But, like I say, I think I probably will. There's a there's a series of books. The main character is Matthew Corbett, and I can't for the life of me remember who wrote the books but the same thing happened where the third book came out I think this was about 10 years ago and I read it and then I went back and I read the previous two and had the spoilers mm. and I knew what was going to happen and I was like a little bit annoyed and it was based in America right when we were first colonising and I guess maybe roughly the same period as these books were written. But then the following books I really, really enjoyed because I then had the backstory. So it sort of got me in because I enjoyed it. And it was exactly this kind of book. It was like easy reading, a good romp, mm -hmm. some historical fiction chucked in there to wet my appetite for the history <laughs> well researched and then going forward it was 
really interesting mm-hmm. to me. So I wonder if this Tom Hawkins becomes a long-running ser- series of books with this one character, whether it's something that I will follow in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Just because I know that it's a relatively good, fun, easy read. Yeah. The only one I can think of, actually, that maybe doesn't do this is Dan Brown and his Robert Langdon series. I think all of those can be read as standalones because the only thing they have in common is the fact that Robert Langdon is the main character and... Yes. That's it. In fact, I think I did read them out of order because I think I read them... What was the second one? For Robert Langdon. Mm, that the was da um, Angels and... Well, Angels and Demons, chronologically, is the fir- first one. Then the Da Vinci Code da Vinci happens. Code. So I read the Da Vinci Code first and then Angels and Demons. Yeah, me too. Me too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That it's a really interesting... I guess it in itself is probably a genre or a type of book that a lot of people are used to reading, but I guess for both of us, because it's not the primary type of book that we're used to mm-hmm. it feels weird maybe and I think for me it was just I think it was the the mystery of it I didn't find very compelling I didn't yeah. feel a sense of real urgency um a real sense of danger even though you know you had these monstrous things happening like the, the dead deer being delivered and then more dead deer and then there was a small fire in the house, and like things were happening, but I didn't feel any real tension. Whereas mm. in previous crime novels that I would have read, the mystery is much more elaborate, and I really have to be thinking about, okay, trying to solve it myself. Whereas for this one, I was like, well, I mean, she's not really his daughter, and do I really care so much who's orchestrating this? Not really. Yeah. So I think that was that was a problem for me as well. Yeah, I, and I think I now that you've said the tension, I get it. I guess I didn't particularly feel much tension either. But maybe it's just because um, of the time that it's set in. I don't know. No, I don't think so, because there were a lot of books that I've read that you do get a, t- a tension. Mm-hmm. I would say that after fantasy, this is my primary genre. The sort of historical crime fiction. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I've never really assessed any of the books that I've read previously to think, was there tension? Sure. I think for me, this is the first like historical crime novel that I would have read. I The crime that I read is usually very modern and is like gruesome, grisly, murders you know like it's a serial killer (laughs) trying yeah um so I feel like there the tension is really high because the stakes are really high because you know it's it's real people's lives in danger yeah so I guess when we first when we did our first episode we you sort of said you read the books that you read now because you want the escapism and you don't really care what people think about what exact books you are reading because you you just want to read for pleasure. Mm-hmm. 
and I guess I I read a book when I was a teenager that was a modern crime book, a modern thriller, I suppose you would call it, and I will never forget it. I think I was about 15 years old, and it was like midnight, and we were on holiday in Foy in Cornwall, and... I read this book and somebody got garroted by a guitar string. I couldn't tell you which book it was. And I was so disturbed that I was like, I have to get out of this cottage that we were staying in. So we had two Labradors and I said, oh, I'm going to take the dogs out for a, for a walk. You know, just a little stroll around the block. And I was literally walking through these lanes in this tiny little seaside village in Cornwall like someone is about to strangle me I am going to die and as a result I have found my escapism much more in the past (laughs) because it is much less relevant to how I might actually die if you see what I mean yes no I see what you mean yeah 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 I understand that yeah it's funny the things that you remember because I also quite clearly remember my first time reading a proper like gruesome murder mystery and I think I would have been about the same age as well 15 16 and we were also on yeah. a family holiday and it was The Hour Game by David Baldacci right and yeah it was like a serial killer as well and I've I've he heard was... of it but I've not read it Yeah, and I was just, like, turning the pages. I was so engrossed in this. And I think maybe because I was so young and probably quite naive, I thought that this was such, you know, so phenomenal that how could he think of something like this? And now I know that, you know, unfortunately, serial killers are among us and... Yeah. They do horrible things. understood. Yeah, but at the time I thought, wow, you know, he must be really really good to imagine such a horrible horrible thing but yeah anyway <laughs> yeah it's interesting we digress <laughs> well sort of sort of okay so the the fountains abbey mm-hmm. are a real place mm-hmm. in yorkshire yeah and mr a's slubby whose name I say differently every time I say it, because I've got a thing about it now. (laughs) Sure, yep, yep. Was a real person, and he did this really terrible thing in real life, and the doctor was a real person, and the housekeeper kept the house accounts, including paying the stonemasons, and the whole friction between Mr. Aislaby and the Mr. Messenger who owned Fountains Abbey was a real thing and actually Mr. Aislaby's son did eventually manage to buy Fountains Abbey and the building work was real and the landscaping was real and the lakes were real and you can go see it all. It's a National Trust property. Yeah. And there is nothing that I love more than getting fully involved into a story and then finding a load of stuff at the end that is the author's research and this is how this relates to actual real life and these events really happened, there's a bit of mystery over here. So I've taken it and I've run with it and I've had, I've taken absolute liberties with this story in order to spin a yarn. Mm-hmm. 
And as soon as I finished the book, Will was already working because, you know, I sort of finished it this morning and he starts work earlier than I do. I ran upstairs and I went, Will, let's go to Fountain's Abbey for our honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, I've never heard of this place. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um... So I think that might also be partly why I, I'm i like, I love this book because it, it just has got real life in it. I can go visit this place. Yeah, that's true. Like, um, I did like that aspect of it. Um, I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't actually finish reading all of the appendix. So yeah, I got about halfway enough. through. But it yeah, was long. <laughs> it, it was pretty long. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was really nice to see how well researched it was. I suppose maybe as readers, we don't often appreciate how much effort actually goes into writing a book and especially a book yeah. that takes place so long ago. Like mm. you can't just write anything. You ha- you know, if no. you're going to do it, you have to do it right. And you have to be historically accurate as well. Um, so, yeah. so it's nice to, for her to you know, make that available also for the readers to say, you know, I found this stuff. Mm. And as you say, I filled in the blanks as my imagination saw fit. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's one of those things that makes me, it boggles my mind a little bit and I try not to think about it too hard, but it's like, what are people going to think about our lives in a thousand years time? Okay. I know it's not a thousand years. It's, it's still 400 years, you know, it's a long time ago. Mm. Um, and I think I think it had so much detail that it was brought to life, which is why I didn't mind the, the pacing. Mm-hmm. I didn't even notice the pacing. I'm not sure that there's actually too much more that I wrote down having liked about it, because while I did really like it, it was relatively simple. Yeah, that's true. I think what I've come to realise recently about myself as a reader which makes me completely different to you I think is that I have a real problem picturing things Mm. so like I I really struggled especially at the end of the book when they're in the bell tower in in Fountain's Abbey I couldn't imagine it and and I think that also kind of took away from it as well because I couldn't quite picture, okay, where were they standing? Were they on the same plank of wood or were they not? Because at some point Kitty's looks like she's about to fall, but Tom doesn't say that he's lost his balance or anything. So that makes me feel like, okay, they're probably not on the same piece of wood. But then what is he holding on to? And it, it was just a little bit confusing for me. And I think that's because... I'm not good at picturing it. Mm, that is so. where we massively differ because, again, I wrote down I love the imagery in capital letters, shock. <laughs> because, yeah, that is a, that is really important to me. Yeah, and, like, even even the grounds that, you know, played such a big role as well. And I just I just struggle imagining these things. I think my imagination is just not very um, visual, if that makes mm. sense, like, yeah, and I, it's the same with like the characters, like, okay, I can't actually remember if they were 
physically described in any great depth, but like if you asked me to to describe them to you, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't even be able to picture them in my mind. Yeah, as a person. So yeah, that's really interesting. It would be really interesting to do a little thought experiment with me here. Mm-hmm. If we were to like both go get hooked up to those mind reading machines and both read the same book and see our levels of brain activity and oh. see like where <laughs> right i know that we are conquering the world with this podcast which has had all of about 50 listeners if that at this point <laughs> but if anybody knows anybody who can hook us up to brain reader devices while we are reading the same novel so we can analyze our brain waves i would be absolutely fascinated to see where we differ yeah. and where we're the same because we obviously have such a love for reading that there is going to be something that overlaps because if we're if we're going to get really sciencey here if we're stimulating the mm. pleasure area of our brain something's going to be the same mm. yeah and I, I really i you bring up a good point and it would be really interesting because I don't really know which part of my brain is being stimulated when I'm reading because like, honestly, I can't picture things easily enough, but it, it reading for me usually evokes quite a lot of emotion. So, but then most things do. I'm a very emotional person. So (laughs) yeah. So when you're, when you're reading, Mm. do you, have half a mind on other things or are you focusing completely on the book i think it really depends on the book and And how gripped you are by it yeah okay so if we take a court of thorns and roses Mm -hmm. would you have said that you were completely gripped by that yes whereas with foundation not at all (laughs) you were probably thinking oh my god i have to go clean the toilet or what are we having for dinner in three nights time or <laughs> yeah 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 I guess that's probably true for most people I think maybe that's where our ability to listen to audiobooks differs it could because be yeah. I'm much more able to multitask while also listening to the audiobook mm. yeah I think I I like to consider myself to be very good at multitasking, but when it comes to certain things, I need to be fully zoned in. And I think reading is one of those things. Yeah, I think with the audiobooks, I'm quite good at filling in the gaps. So I may not completely hear the whole story, but it doesn't bother me because I've sort of fleshed it out myself, if that makes sense. Mm. Whereas if sort of imagery is something that... Or like... If we come back to this book, the bit where they're on the plank, I wasn't really thinking too hard about exactly who was on which plank. Maybe it's, I don't think it's necessarily an imagination thing. I think it's maybe that you're a lot more detail oriented in some ways. Mm -hmm. So in order to be able to image it, you need to, you need to have all the axes mapped. Maybe. Um, yeah, oh god, that's really interesting. Yeah, because now I'm even thinking like I've always found it so amazing when someone can read something and then draw it based on a description in a book. 
So, you know, all the fan art that you can find anywhere of any, any character from any book, like that they can just imagine this imaginary person and bring them to Mm -hmm. life via a picture based on a few sentences in a book. I think that's just such a talent and I wish I could do that, but nope. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it works for me, like say with Harry Potter, because, because of the movies. So now if I'm reading the book and I want to picture the character, I just picture the actor or actress playing that character. Um, But if it, if it comes to coming up with my own, image of a person it's it's like a blank face in my mind yeah that's so interesting because I think I do have I do have mental images of the characters but I couldn't describe them to you Mm -hmm. at all so I am also would be rubbish at fan art even if I could actually translate what was in my brain onto a piece of paper (laughs) but yeah it's interesting have you been to the world of Harry Potter the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Neeston, the studios. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel about Hogwarts after the grand reveal at the end? Like, well, was that just sort of another exhibit? Oh no, no. That for me, that was prob that was the best part. The yeah. first time we we <laughs> we've been more than once. Uh, but the first time <laughs> we went, I was. I think I got emotional. Like, I think this is the thing. Like, I think I'm just, I, I had an emotional response to seeing this <laughs> model yeah. of a building because yeah. it just was so magical. But again, like mm. in my mind, I can't picture Hogwarts. Like the Hogwarts in my mind is the Hogwarts from the movies. Mm. I, I just can't bring up an image on my own. Um, yeah. So, why do you ask specifically for that one? Um, because I guess I've I really enjoyed it as an artifact of the movies, but I do have a different image of Hogwarts in my head, mm-hmm. and I do still have some bastardization, if you'll excuse my language, of my original ideas of the characters in my heads that are not Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson. I think it. If that is your Hogwarts, whereas to me it is amazing, but not my Hogwarts, maybe that's sort of where it lies. It'd be really interesting to see how you react to the TV series or whatever they're doing for A Court of Thorns and Roses, because... Yeah, I'm trying to think of when I get annoyed with an adaptation, I rarely get annoyed with what a setting looks like or who is cast to play said role because I suppose again because it's such a blank slate in my mind I get hung up on all the details that they get wrong (laughs) yeah so when they miss out an important plot point or yeah Yeah. or I mean if we're gonna be you know because if something is explicitly stated about someone's appearance and then the movie does it different yeah, like green eyes versus blue eyes, yes. for example. Just yes, for or, example. <laughs> absolutely. I was thinking about Voldemort and the fact that he's supposed to have red eyes and has blue in the movie. Yeah. At that point, I'm like, okay, this is explicitly stated. And yeah. it's not so expensive that you can't give the actor red contact lenses. Like, you've spent so much money on other special effects, but you've you've drawn the line on this. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah. Yeah, that's that's really uh, really interesting. You've got the science collect connections collections. You've got the science connections. So I'm tasking you. Your homework <laughs> this week is find somebody who can scan our brains for us. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to Andreas. Yeah, it'd be, it would be. I would. I would fly to Dublin for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, there was one quote right at the beginning of the book that I thought was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Tom and Sam are in the carriage on the way to the estate, and. Tom is facing the direction of travel because when he was being ridden to the gallows, he sat with his back to the direction of travel. And the quote in this book is, We must all travel blind to our deaths, but to feel its slow, creeping approach with every turn of the wheel is a horror beyond imagining. I thought that was a very powerful and well-written observation that is no longer applicable because in this country, at least, people are no longer taken in a horse-drawn carriage to their hanging. I'm sure it's hopefully the same in most other countries in the world. But mm-hmm. I, I, that sort of set me up for the rest of the book, thinking, okay, this person knows how to write. Mm. And um, while I didn't watch out for any other quotes that I thought were particularly worth noticing that one made me stop in my tracks and actually write it down because I I really enjoyed it I didn't have any problem with the writing I thought it was yeah yeah well written I didn't write down any specific quotes for this one Mm. and I'm kicking myself now because I don't have the ebook reader with me but I think I did highlight highlight something but I'm not gonna get up and get it so no biggie no that's fine (laughs) um I think it was I think it was just more especially with the historical stuff, there are elements of it that we just cannot relate to in any way, shape or form. So something like that is quite interesting. I think from that line, I think that is a a line that can be plucked out of time, if that makes sense. Because yeah. while we're not probably in, in most places literally driven to our death to face the death sentence, there are, you know times when you do know that you're about to die yeah or or even that you're about to face a horrific experience such as mm. a you know saying goodbye to a loved one or yeah any of those sort of things and the only reason i bring it up is because that's the only other thing that i've written down that i've not already talked about i think i've covered everything as well i liked sam's character i thought he was i really enjoyed him quirky and um mm. yeah don't really think i have anything else to say i liked sally i'm hoping that in book 4 sally who was the maid makes a reappearance and that sam and sally have a little reunion young <laughs> love with lola <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the the only other thing that struck me and maybe that's the thing i highlighted but i can't remember was at some point they were talking about some crime that someone had committed and that he should face the gallows or that he would probably get hanged for this. And I kind of thought, really? Like, Mm. this is what they would get? Like, did they just hang everyone? (laughs) Because, I mean, I could understand if you're a murderer. 
not that I'm condoning yeah. any, you know, I'm not saying I condone this, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be seen as, okay, the punishment fits the crime. But I think this was like a forgery or, you know, something relatively trivial. And his response to this was, well, that person should be hanged. Oh, the past is a is a fascinating <laughs> mystery. Yeah. And like, oh, okay, one last thing and then we can maybe stop. Was I really, really enjoyed Thomas's fascination with Lady Judith. Yes! Horse riding. Yes! Oh my god. I know, right? <laughs> and he's like, she she must be in her fifties. She must be in her fifties. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. Kitty gets her own. Oh, yeah, I I, I loved that as well. I was because I'm at the moment wearing hot pants is the only way I could really describe them, and I quite regularly just walk around the house in these, and that element of, I mean, ankles were like hella sexy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I think that was yeah. the point where I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely a historical novel if I didn't know already. But the yeah. fact that, you know, he sees a woman for the first time wearing trousers and sitting astride a horse like a man would sit astride a horse. Yeah. And how he's just like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. So I, now I think I've said everything. <laughs> Very good. Well, I think that wraps up another typically sidesteppy episode (laughs) (laughs) and the next episode is going to be very special Mm -hmm. because we will have our first guest yes we will so our first guest is our good friend matt allenson and he will be joining us to talk about a book that he chose which is convenience store woman by Sayaka Murata. It'll be the end of the season one, we have decided. This is true. Yes, we have kind of arbitrarily decided that each season will have 10 episodes and hopefully we will continue on the tradition of the last episode of the season. We will have a guest on to talk about a book of their choice. Yeah, exactly. And there'll be a month between seasons so that we have a month of sort of not having to read anything for the podcast, because as much as we both love reading, things always change when they have a deadline, don't they? I mean, there will be a month for us between recording, but the way that we've got it scheduled, there will be no downtime for our listeners. There won't. <laughs> but the the, uh, the the sort of between-seasons episode will be something a little special. So yes. That's the next two episodes, at least, sorted mm-hmm. out for you, and you can look forward to that. Looking forward to it. It'll be quite interesting to have a three-way recording. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Unless you fancy... Do you want to come to Bristol and we can... Oh. You know... <laughs> I wish. I wish I could, Not long, Corey. not long, not long. <laughs> uh... It's so annoying because it's like a half-hour flight. I like... know, it's crazy. <laughs> this is exciting, though. The next episode will be the last episode to air with me being an unmarried woman. The next episode will be the last episode. Yes, because by the time this airs, it'll be September. Yeah. 
It'll be the beginning of September, and then the next time you hear us all... You'll be an old married woman. <laughs> oh, I'll be so old. <laughs> Decrepit. <laughs> I'll instantly develop a, I don't know, limp overnight. I don't know. What do old women do? Go on, you tell me. You're married. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> oh. Very good. Right, on that Very note, I'm getting, I'm getting the nod for dinner, so... Absolutely. Yes, another stellar episode in which we talked about pretty much everything other than the book we read. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Great. Well, I had a great time. Yeah, me too. And I look forward to talking to you in a few weeks together with Matt. Yes, sounds very good. Very exciting. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll talk to you later then. Yeah, speak to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. You can send your feedback, thoughts, questions and book recommendations to us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram as readingmaterialspod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time, keep reading. <laughs>